Fred Film Radio. This is Fred Film Radio, 34 Trieste Film Festival, Federica Scarpa, and today I'm with Mila Torajlic, director of Not Line, Scenes from the Labudovich Reels, in the section documentary competition. Hello, welcome. Hello. Uh, first of all, can you briefly tell to our listener what this film is about? Um, yes. So this film is, uh, based on film archives, uh, that were held in an archive in Belgrade, the archive of the Yugoslav newsreels. Um, and it starts with the discovery of 26 reels of never used materials filmed at a very special event, uh, in, in 1961, which was the first summit of the non-aligned movement. And the non-aligned movement is something that people have either heard of or have never heard of. Um, but it was an attempt in the 1960s of countries in Africa and in Asia to create a voice for the third world, for this kind of newly emerging uh, world from that was coming out of colonialism. And our guide through this archival material is the man who filmed it, uh, whose name is Stevan Labudovic, and he was one of the cameramen of the Yugoslav newsreels. But what makes this story really extraordinary is that he was the cameraman who was assigned to follow and travel with Yugoslav president Tito which made him for a period of almost 30 years Tito's cameraman. And so it's from his perspective of someone who was standing, you know, with and behind the president when all of these leaders of the third world were meeting that we get to take an archival road trip through this archive. I read, I don't know if it's right that actually this is uh, one part of a two-part documentary, right? Exactly. Yes. So the story of this archive is kind of so immense, but also the story of Stevan Labudovic's life was so extraordinary that we actually made a diptych of two films. The first one is Non-Aligned, which um, shows the creation of this non-aligned movement and kind of the birth of the third world. The second one goes into kind of extraordinary clandestine chapter of Stevan Labudovic's life because he was sent on a secret mission by the president to film the Algerian liberation movement. And he spent three years uh, wearing the uniform of the Algerian liberation army, making an archive of some 83 kilometers of film of this movement. And it wasn't material that was only used to archive their story, but it was used as, as at the time to make films about their struggle and to kind of win over world opinion. So the second film in the diptych is called Cinegerias, because it is about how cinema was used by liberation movements to win the the battle in the court of public opinion. And it's also being shown in Trieste. So both films, we like for both films to be seen together as a chance for audiences to discover kind of the many facets of this story. How did you find out about Stevan's existence and how did you get him involved? It's kind of extraordinary that Stevan lived in Belgrade, like I do, but we actually met in Algeria. We met in Algeria because in Algeria, his work has made him known as the camera, the cinematic eye of the Algerian revolution. In Belgrade, where we both lived, he was virtually unknown. And I was in Algeria with my first film, Cinema Comunisto, And Stevan was there as the guest of honor of the festival. He was 87 years old. And I very simply went up to him and said, hello, I'm also from Belgrade, like you. Um, 
and I brought my camera with me and can I film you while you are staying here for the festival? And he said, yes. And so I basically started filming with him the day I met him. Oh. And it took me a long time. We filmed for about three years together to understand the kind of vastness of his story and also how his archive, you know, played its part in the creation of this political movement. But did you know about Stefan when you arrived in the archive? Right. So I, when I was making Cinema Comunisto, and that film took me five years to make, I had spent a lot of time in this archive. <laughs> and I had seen some of his footage without knowing that it's his footage. So I had known the work of the Yugoslav cameraman, but not the clandestine work. I didn't know that Yugoslavia had given technical aid and support to liberation movements in Africa during the 1950s and 60s. And I didn't know that this material was still in Belgrade. And I definitely didn't know that Stavan Labudovic was the person who had made this. So it was an incredible process of discovery, actually. How many hours uh, of footage have you seen? Oh, I have seen hours and hours and hours. And I still don't think I've seen maybe even... 30% of what is there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I worked on this project for seven years, and I don't think I've seen even a third of what they have. The problem is the footage is not digitized. It's not really indexed and labeled. So I was doing, and you can see this in the film, that we were watching the footage and at the same time making notes of what we were seeing in the reels and profiting from the fact that Stevan was alive so that he could help us identify a lot of the things that was in the footage and also using his notes and his diaries to understand what were we looking at, who were these people, where was this filmed. And so it was a very, very slow, laborious process. And there's only so much that we could do with the budget that we had for the film. How do you work when uh, you have uh, such an amount of uh, material? I mean, uh, how do you write the film? Uh, you, <laughs> do you visualize it in your mind or do you get carry, carried away by the research uh, as you go? Oh, you drown. You drown in the footage. That's what happened to me. I completely drowned in the footage. And to be honest, we started off making one film. And I thought, okay, the storyline is... I thought it was so interesting how Stavan's personal storyline inscribes itself into the large history. I thought, what a unique way to tell the story of the birth of a political era through the eye of the person who filmed the archive that helped them make their image at the time, you know. I thought it was an incredibly interesting prism through which to tell the big historical story. But... um For a long time, I mean, we edited for almost three years. For a long time, we were trying to make one film. And then at some point, we realized it's really two different stories to be told in two different ways. You know, one is almost like an essay film where there is a voiceover on my part where I really take you into the process of discovery of this archive. You really kind of participate in how we're discovering the material. The other film, Sinegirias, is really told from Stevens perspective with the voices and participation of his comrades in arms in Algeria. So there are other people in the film who tell you from their perspective, how these images were made, how they decided to mobilize cinema in order to lead their political struggle. And the basis of that film are his diaries. 
because he kept detailed diaries during every day that he was filming in the Algerian war. So it's two different stories told in two, two different ways, but getting to that understanding of how the footage needed to be told was an incredibly long process. And of course, there is still in me a deep frustration that I probably will never get to see all of the archive, you know. How happy you will do when, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we keep working on it. We've, it's now become a, a, an artistic research project. We created a web platform where we're sharing the research as we go. It's turned into video installations uh, for museum spaces. So there is definitely a continuation of the research. You said that you watch part of the footage with uh, Stefan and uh, I was wondering, how he reacted uh, watching his uh, his works after after all these years he did he discover something about his work that maybe he didn't he didn't understand at the time no i think he knew very well what he was doing at the time you know stevan refers to himself as a propagandist which is absolutely what he was uh, but uh, what they were doing was a war of propaganda it was the cold war and it was definitely The Cold War was definitely also a propaganda war, and he had chosen his side in that war, which Yugoslavia had chosen as well, which is this idea of non-aligned, you know, that they're neither the East nor the West, that there must be a third way in which people don't have to side with the big powers. And so he was filming for a very, from a very specific political position, mm. which he still embraced, you know, at the time I met him, he was still very much for that political position. What was interesting to me is, you know, Stevan was an incredible cameraman. And the reason he was chosen to film the president is because he was one of the most talented cameramen in Yugoslavia. So what I actually discovered while watching his footage with him was the level of discipline and strictness, like how... um demanding he was of himself when he looked at the image what he was critical of was how he framed it what he didn't film you know this could have been done better that could have been done better and i actually began to see who he was at the time he was filming as well you know that there is this kind of um obsession with capturing the moment right well you know and uh, and for me it definitely la- raised my But you see in the film as well that he criticizes me for how I'm filming him. So it definitely kind of raised the stakes for me in terms of my image making. Yeah, I love that scene when uh, he criticizes your, your way to, to shoot him. <laughs> And uh, I also love a lot the, um, the dynamics between, uh, between you and Stefan. You, you, uh, you are a great couple together. <laughs> It turned into a very interesting relationship because, you know, initially I'm not a camera person. I wasn't really anticipating on being the person filming, but because we started in Algeria and I was filming and he began to criticize me and he began to give me instructions. I just thought what an interesting way for one aspect of his personality to be revealed in, in to the, to the viewer. So, 
I decided to keep filming. And yes, so it creates a kind of really interesting dynamic of two generations of filmmakers. There is this idea of transmission that he is trying to pass something on to me. You know, he's also obviously making me question my own choices because he's a man who devoted his life to the filmed image. So there's all, all sorts of questions for me in that, you know, is this the career that I've chosen for myself? So you're right that it became an incredibly important relationship for me as well. Another thing that I wanted uh, to ask is because uh, a part of your film is also about the audio recovery of these films and uh, they the were used without any sound at the time. And uh, how uh, did this uh, research go and how did you work to synchronize, you know, sound and, and uh, images? So we um, were working with the images that were filmed without sound and what I started looking at is how were these images used during this propaganda Cold War by various sides, you know, uh, ideologically. Mm -hmm. So there is a scene where you see how the same images are used by, you know, an American, how they're used by French newsreel. And you begin to understand that these images can really be made to say anything, you know, mm -hmm. depending on who edits them and who says what over them. And that's what made me incredibly curious, you know, that if this was a political movement that wanted to make its voice heard on the world stage, why can't we hear those voices, you know? And that's when I began to look for the sound archive. And uh, there is a clue in the footage because in these reels that we found from the summit, there are a lot of shots of microphones. And I was thinking, well, there must have been recordings. And that is when I reached out to um, Radio Belgrade mm -hmm. and decided to film the process just because I realized that there is, you know, the film, we're discovering the film as we're making it and that it would be incredibly dramaturgically exciting to bring the audience along for that discovery. And uh, so we, you know, as a viewer, you get to go with us into the radio archive, you get to find the archive with us and you kind of see the cobwebs and realize that there has been no interest in this archive for probably decades. Um, and then you began to watch how we're trying to put the pieces of the sound with the pieces of the image. What we did in reality is in the end, we had to work with um, a company of uh, deaf mute lip readers particularly for the English uh, speeches, because it was incredibly difficult for me to figure out where to put the sound with the image. And they really helped us piece together the most important speech, which is Sukarno. Mm. Um, so it was an incredibly exciting process. It was an incredibly exciting process. And I really wanted for you to be able to see that process in the film as well. Mm -hmm. And so when in the end, you know, they get their voice, that you hear them speak, I just feel that it's like a moment of real archival triumph, you know, the kind of the triumph of archive over time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, I started to think about during uh, the film, because at the beginning is so normal to watch the, the images without sound. But then when uh, you started to show this uh, question about the sound, about, uh, about their voices, you think, yes, actually, it's true. We don't know uh, what's happening there with the sound. It's true. <laughs> And it, it's, it's strange that we don't think about that at the beginning. Right, right. No, but it's very much, I really wanted to build the film in a way that you are going through a process of discovery in the exact same way that I was when I was making it, you know. 
So that there isn't this feeling of, oh, well, it was all just there. Someone just needed to turn it into a film. No, it was like a very slow unraveling of, you know, it's like an archaeological dig. And I really wanted you to participate in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it works uh, a lot. And one last question, and it was a thing that I thought uh, watching your film is, can we say that this film is also maybe a great consideration on the power of cinema, not only to be a narrator, but also a keeper of history, maybe? I think so. You know, there is um there is this quote with which the film begins by Walter Benjamin mm. where he says that history disintegrates into images, not into stories. And I feel that really encapsulated what was for me the essential problematic of this material. You know, the material has thank God survived, thanks to the work of the Yugoslav newsreels and, and their care for it. But the story of its creation disappeared. It disappeared with the disappearance of Yugoslavia. It disappeared with the end of the Cold War. You know, and it really is footage that has fallen out of story. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, there is this power of cinema that we can reactivate its storytelling, basically. But also what I find really potent is that we can use it for new stories. You know, and for me, what's really exciting is to think about how a new generation that has never heard of the non-aligned movement or, you know, this project for a third world that speaks for itself um, could use this archive and this material as a political inspiration for the future, you know, not just as a kind of trip through the past. Thank you uh, so much, Mila, for being with us with, uh, with your film. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the questions. Fred Film Radio. 24-7 on fred.fm and smartphone apps.